It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm in bed asleep and my agent calls me like upset that, you know, we didn't get this nomination or that nomination. And I'm like, bro, I I made peace with that a long time ago. Why are you making, why are you trying to make me care about this stuff? I actually don't want to care about it because I'm better off when I don't care about it because they're not going to give me shit anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I know it. For Judas and the Black Messiah filmmaker Shaka King, after the slights he's experienced over the years, he doesn't want to assign too much power to whether or not Hollywood Awards recognize his work. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Shaka King about making Judas and the Black Messiah, as well as the journeys of another director, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom filmmaker, George C. Wolfe. But first, on the Award Circuit Roundtable, we give our final predictions for the Golden Globes, including picks in both key film and TV categories before they're announced on Sunday. It's all on the latest edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here at Variety, joined today with Michael Schneider. Hey, hey. Ooh, I changed the order. I'll be like that, yeah, right? Yeah, you like, threw I just me threw off. It. Totally threw me off. I, I, I thought I thought we were going straight into uh, Jazz Tanke, or as she's now known, Gas Tank Senior Citizens Editor at Variety. Yes. Hello. I don't understand that. I think I missed something. I took one day off, and I don't know what's going on. See what happens. Don't take days off. Anarchy. Jan- <laughs> Janelle Riley. Hello. Believe. Yes, yes, believe. But yeah, c- congrats to to Jazz on her uh, new promotion as Senior Citizens Editor. <laughs> Senior citizens. <laughs> is that did this was this a misprint of some kind or let me in on your private joke? <laughs> uh, so I was uh, going through the transcript, not using Otter Zoom, and I was reading it, and it says, "Hi, I'm Gas Tank Senior Citizens Editor at Variety." So there you go. That's wow. who I am. Yeah, That's the, amazing. The, the Otter transcriptions are always good for a good laugh or two. I still like Otter, by the way, because I do too. It, it, it at least gives you a base to then kind of go in and, and correct. But yeah, you get moments like Jazz Tank A becoming Gas Tank, which is amusing. <laughs> by the way, you get a bonus like comedic bit when you're transcribing using Otter too. I will say it is the worst for British people. Like, oh, really? All, oh my, like Daniel Kaluuya's like transcript was 
it, it, they, it gave me nothing. I had to listen to the whole thing over again. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to our podcast sponsored by Otter AI. <laughs> shout, shout out to Otter. Sponsor this, sponsor this podcast, Otter. Exactly. Exactly. Well, gang, it's the it's the calm before the storm, and dun, dun, dun. and and funny enough, as we head into Golden Globe Sunday, there's quite a bit of stir over the weekend, thanks to our friends at the LA Times uh, for for. Uh, reminded us of some things we knew, some things we didn't know about the uh, the, the hinkiness uh, that that goes on inside the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Doesn't this happen every year, though? That you know, right around the Golden Globe, someone reminds us that they're maybe not the most legitimate organization. <laughs> I I think I think it's the confirmation process that always like gets lost. Like people will say things about them, but no one ever definitively knows for sure and can cite and point to things. But uh, it was it was not shocking to say the least. But I sort of have this philosophy. I don't know if you ever saw the episode of The Simpsons where Barney gets sober, and then everyone else in the bar is trying to turn Homer into the drunk at the bar because they need someone to feel superior to. And I feel like the Golden Globes is sort of the drunk at the bar, you know, where like everybody, you know, wants to be a part of it, but they also want to kick it around a little. Yeah, I mean, Globes are going to globe, you know. Speaking yeah. Of- Speaking of drunk, the my favorite Globe moment is Jacqueline Bissett trying to find her way to the screen, uh, to the stage that year that she won for something, and that that was great. But um, no, yeah, I think I think I think a little bit of it is that, but I think a little bit little bit of it is, I think they just need to change the image. If you want to be taken like seriously as an award show, I think we just need to like kind of drop the journalist part of it, of like you know, you know, we are writers from all around the world and we love the industry but then you nominate music so then that gets some <laughs> wait has anyone actually seen music before we get into that nope. okay yeah me I, saw, I saw a music video of it online <laughs> and was mortified i like sia's work with zero zero seven back in the early 2000s uh, <laughs> nice i've seen her interview uh but yeah i think uh you know, while we're going to be at it, I think, um, Mike, what do you, let's start with TV because that's always nice and easy. What, do you, what do you think is going to happen? What's, what's going to have the big, big, great night? Will Emily in Paris win Emily in Paris? <laughs> that is the question. I want him to do it so bad. Uh, I know. I, how, I mean, that, that would, like, it, it, if that happens, then I hope Tina and, and Amy just look at the camera and say, see, <laughs> it's. I, I guess everything we said about the HFPA is true. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Emily in Paris will win. It's just an honor to be nominated. But uh, <laughs> I, I do think I mean, I, it's going to be a good night for the crown, um, obviously, on the drama side. I, I really? Think, because I feel like they like to look for the new thing. Yeah. I mean, they do and they don't. In uh, comedy, look, typically, right? Yeah. In comedy, they go freshman, typically. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, that's where I think they are. You know, we're wearing our Ted Lasso jerseys. I, I do <laughs> feel like there is an edge for Ted Lasso for that reason. They want to be the first to give Ted Lasso an award and also Jason Sudeikis an award. So unfortunately for for Eugene Levy, uh, that, that'll probably push him aside. But he's got his Emmy. He. They, Schitt's Creek is fine. They don't need a globe necessarily. Uh, I do think Catherine O'Hara will get one, so Schitt's Creek won't be uh, up Schitt's Creek. Hey, there you go. Hey. Um But nonetheless, I do think on the comedy side, probably give it to, to Ted Lasso and Sudeikis. But drama, 
you know, I, I, I do think The Crown is a very HFPA kind of show. It's one in the past. Uh, Olivia Coleman, every time she's nominated for something, she wins at the Globes. So I think you give her the edge there over over the competition. Uh, and, and then so on uh, Drama Actor, I think Jason Bateman gets it. Uh, again, they, you know, he, Bateman does it all these days. He does comedy, he does drama, he directs, he produces. I mean, he's, he's a jack of all trades who doesn't love Jason Bateman. So I, I, I actually, I think, I thought it, uh, in my pool, I did uh, Matthew Reese. I did Josh O'Connor. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love Matthew Reese. I don't think many people have seen or are talking about Perry Mason. Uh, so so that's where I think Bateman sort of gets the edge. And Josh O'Connor, I mean, he's he's great in The Crown, but I think this year it was all about the women in The Crown. So that's why people are talking about Olivia Coleman and and Emma Corrin, who isn't a big enough star to uh, edge out Olivia Coleman just yet. But you know, she was in the conversation. But sometimes they like that. They like feeling like they discovered someone or rediscovered yeah. in the case of. Like like the flight attendant, Ooh, which is the which only, is, which is why I think Catherine O'Hara is going to lose. I think, think she's going to lose to Kaylee Cuoco. Think Kaylee Cuoco could take it. I, I possibly, I, I think the, the heat for flight attendant, and I've been like an evangelist for the flight attendant lately. Everyone, when they ask me, what should I watch next? I say flight attendant. Cause it is great. But I do think the heat on that sort of probably came too late for the globes. Again, I could be wrong. Um, but I do feel like maybe Catherine O'Hara still gets it. Uh, yeah, or maybe they give it to Lily Collins because she's the only one in that category who has actually won a globe in the past. <laughs> Funny enough, she's the one person who actually has a globe in that Wait, category. Wait, what did she win for? Um, she won for a movie in 2017, which of course I can't remember off the top of my head. Lily now. Collins? I think so. Let me let me look. Yeah, I'm well. confirming. Keep going. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, Sudeikis on the uh, actor side. Uh, limited uh, Queen's Gambit. Gotta gotta be the gotta be the. You mean the Bill Camp show? (laughs) Yes, loves me. Uh, She did not win a Golden Globe. She was nominated for Rules Don't Apply. That's what I thought it was. Rules Don't Apply. I'm sorry. She's not the only one. She's the only one who's been nominated in that category before. So so, sorry to correct myself. She's the only previous nominee in that category. So that's 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 astounding. Catherine O'Hara has never been nominated. Uh, Kelly Cuoco, Elle Fanning, Jane Levy, Lily Collins—the only one to be nominated in the past there. But yeah, she's unfortunately not gonna done. throw out uh, some some fingers crossed for Jane Levy, who I think is so fantastic, and I feel like Zoe's extraordinary playlist is such a Globe show. I was actually kind of surprised it wasn't the show itself wasn't nominated. Yeah, I mean it's the only broadcast show to get any sort of nomination wow. whatsoever. Um, so they'll have to take that. Mark, Mark Ruffalo going to finish his run? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think Ruffalo, without a doubt, picks it up. Uh, and so then he, uh, uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, I think so. I, I think we got uh, you know some some Queen's Gambit. I think that did peak at the perfect time. Uh, everyone was talking yeah. about it right when voting's going on. Love Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah. So for, great for some that. people to know, she'll be the first Latina winner of that category. She is from Argentina. Whoop whoop. She's fabulous. She is fantastic. I don't know. I, I can see instead of Ruffalo, I can see Brian Cranston or Hugh Grant taking it. Oh, um, I would Gr- love Grant to see, would be very... I see yeah. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant feels very HFPA. Globy. It does feel very <laughs> HFPA. Yeah. I can I, see them picking Nicole Kidman over Anya Taylor-Joy and doing that HFPA thing there, maybe. They could, uh, you know. Here's the thing. We can't predict there's no precursors for the Globes. You know, we can't. So. Well, 
and, and and that's the thing is is you know going back to that the whole debate over the HFPA. There's only there's less than ninety members. Eighty seven. So it's yeah. So so it really like it it, it is a crapshoot to even guess. And there's kind of no point, especially on the TV side. A film side, it does matter more because uh, Clayton, like you've mentioned, it, it is the precursor for Oscar voting. Yeah. On the TV side, it really, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sorry. It means nothing. There's no reason to even, it's just fun to guess, but there's, there's no... Dwayne the Rock Johnson voice. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's no real impact. So that's TV. Let's talk about film where it does sort of matter ah, a little bit more. Yes. All right. Drama side. Uh, it's close. I'm going Nomadland. I'm going Promising Young Woman. Ooh. I'm going to Trial Chicago that, 7. I think that's a safe choice, but that's a good Promising Young Woman. I think it's the most in the zeitgeist at the moment, yeah. and people are talking about it, and um, it. Feels globesy again. Yeah. I I actually think I think Promise Young Woman is an upset pick for Critics Choice. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Why not? We're acting like it's such a dark horse, but let's bear in mind it's the movie everyone's talking about. Everyone knows that Emerald Fennell and Carrie Mulligan are you know probably I don't like to say front runners, but definitely deep in the conversation for Oscars. Like it's it's not that crazy. If we talk about evangelizing, of all the evangelizing of all of these films on Twitter, on social media, it is Promising Young Woman, mm-hmm. where people are like, have you seen it yet? Are you going to see it? I just saw it. it people are talking about it the way they have Have you seen it, Mike? The others. So I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new hibbleology of the podcast. <laughs> I find I'm finally just now getting screeners, so now I can finally watch some of these films. I'm, pr- but, I'm proud uh, of you, Mike Schneider. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Somebody get pro- Mike a promising young woman like, please. Please, uh, picture comedy musical. I'm going Borat. Same. I think I have. I mean, that's what uh, you know. What I'm actually trying to look for what it's up against. Uh, Hamilton to- music, Palm Springs, The Prom. Yeah. I mean, Borat is one of my favorite movies of the year. And so, like, I'm always hesitant to get my hopes up, if that makes any sense. I I think Um, Hamilton's the upset pick, though. I agree. I agree. Music could be the upset pick. (laughs) You forgot to mention music. I said music. (laughs) I just said it very quickly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Actor drama, Riz, Chadwick, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Tahar Rahim. Going Chadwick, though, that Hopkins never winning a Globe Before thing is just lingering over my head, and I'm just going to let it sit there. But I'm going Bozeman. I'm going Riz. You're going Riz! I am. You act like my picks are so crazy, oh, and they're I, not. I, I love ball. I like because like, everyone's like Chadwick or this, but I love that you go yeah. to number three. The number three always he can, is not can come the up number the three to me. I love it. I need a number three. He's in my the life. leader in critics awards. Not that that means anything. I will. I will be the first person to say that. Again, he's in the zeitgeist. He's a charmer. He's been working the circuit, and it's it's. I mean, they're all great performances, you know. But like, it's it's just a great performance. No, I can see that because who who doesn't love Riz? Yeah, you, you. Uh, Jess, who, who did you say? No, I went for Chadwick, but I can see Riz because he's been out there. It's just sad to see Anthony Hopkins go from lead to. He will, he, if he loses, he's the he's the. I don't want to say biggest loser because that's really mean, but he'll be most? the most <laughs> most losiest man <laughs> in Globes in Globes history. He will be tied with fun fact Susan Sarandon and Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> wow. Well, that's good company. So look at it that way. <laughs> uh, actress drama, Viola, Andrew Day, Vanessa Kirby, Francis McDormand, Carrie Mulligan. I'm going Mulligan. 
I'm going Davis. I th- I think I I think it's Carrie Mulligan. Davis will be the first black woman to win the category ever. Wow, really? I mean, sorry, she'll be the second ever first since Whoopi Goldberg, Color Purple. Does she have a globe for fences and the help or? And supporting though. Okay. And then, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you for making me clear. And uh, actress drama. Uh, and then you said Viola Jazz? I said Viola. Nice. It Honestly, I could see it go in any direction in this category, but I'm, I'm sticking with my promising young woman theory. Yep. Actor comedy, Sasha, James Corden, Lin-Manuel, Dev Patel, Andy Samberg. Borat, subsequent movie Borat. film. Is there any way I'm not going to say Sasha Baron Cohen? I unless mean, you, unless you say something else. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know me. Like I, I just want to will this into existence. And uh, by the way, I, I spoke to him recently and his brother Aaron Baron Cohen, and they agreed if um, Wuhan Flu gets nominated for a Best Song at the Oscars, they will perform it as Country Steve. Oh my god. <sighs> we don't deserve things sometimes, and it just happens. Actress comedy, Maria Bakalova, Kate Hudson, Michelle Pfeiffer, Rosamund Pike, Anya Taylor. Uh, going Bakalova. Yeah, no disrespect to the other amazing nominees in this category, but Maria Bakalova, who will go supporting at the Oscars and has a good shot at winning. Uh, so you're thinking like Borat Sweep, huh? Yeah, three Which is three. unusual. They it don't is. usually do that. And so It'll be the biggest I'm winner of the I'm, night. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm wrong about one of these, but I don't want to try and guess which one. Uh, I think picture would be the one I, f- I feel like would I would be wrong with. I feel Borat like it would, would be lose. actor. I feel like it would be. or Yeah, I think it's actor or picture. It will go to Hamilton if there's an mm, upset. Yeah. Um, quick fact. Uh, Maria, if she wins here, gets nominated for Oscar. Uh, she's the second person to do that in the opposite category since Maggie Smith, California Suite in the 70s. Mm. Uh, supporting actor, Sasha, Daniel Kaluuya, Jared, Bill Murray, Leslie Odom Jr., I'm going Sasha, first man to win really? two acting, nom- wow. acting uh, globes in the same show. I'm going. He will join Kate Winslet, Sigourney Weaver, and uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet. I'll get the other one in a minute once you guys say your picks. Chad. I mean, yeah. Uh, did you say Chadwick? He's not in this category. No, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say Jared Leto. Little things. Really? I reckon see, that gonna... is something very Globesy that I could see happening. That's Aaron yeah. Taylor yep. Johnson part two. Yeah. yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson was in my dream last night. Actually, weirdly, I had a dream about the Oscars. You know you're getting deep in the season when you have a dream about the Oscars. And my power went out and I missed them announced Best Supporting Actor. And nobody would tell me who it was because they were afraid I would be upset that it was Aaron Taylor Johnson. Okay. And like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> or you're just really excited for WandaVision on Friday and you think he's going to make a comeback. Oh, that I don't think my dreams are that complicated. I actually kind of think it's between Leslie Odom Jr. and Daniel Kaluuya. Um, Leslie Odom Jr., they, you know, clearly liked the film. To some degree, they nominated Regina King. And he just feels like, I don't know, he sings, he acts, you know, he's he does it all. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Oh, by the way, I was saying it was four women. Sigourney Weaver, Joan Plowright, Helen Mirren, Kate Winslet. No man has ever done it. Ever done what? Uh, one, two uh, globes in the same night. Okay. So Sasha would be the first. Sasha would be the first man, yes. And I'd be okay with that. Yeah. It's good. To, it's good. It's a good world to live in. Yeah. And supporting actress, <laughs> Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Jodie Foster, Amanda Seyfried, Fred, Seyfried, Fred, Seyfried, and uh, Seyfried. Helena Zangle. 
I'm going Olivia Coleman. Five for five. Because she's never lost a globe and she's been nominated. Speaking of someone winning twice in one night, potentially. I'm okay with Olivia Coleman getting everything she wants. We could have Sasha mm-hmm. and Olivia both. Uh, oh, those Brits. Taking home a pair. Stealing our jobs. Yeah. Going for Glenn. Going for Glenn. Going for Glenn. Gonna this starts to Glenn train. Janelle. This is hard for me because um, I, I sort of feel like it'll be Glenn Close, but I know they also rewarded her recently for the wife. Um, I could t- I, I could see anyone winning. I could see Amanda Seyfried taking it and sort of that, you know, she she was snubbed at SAG. So and she is she's first of all, she's really good, but also it just it just feels like a Globesy pick. But I kind of think it's going to be Glenn Close. And well, I you're, think, yeah, you're you're a big hillbilly elegy fan, so <laughs> yeah, that's true. that's part of it. I think she's fantastic in it. I genuinely do. Yeah, I I think that movie is a lot better than people are giving it credit for. Uh, listen, I I do I do think if she is winning the Oscar though, she wins everything moving forward. Like if she loses the Globe, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to buy that she's winning the Oscar. Hillbilly elegy has a really good shot at winning two Oscars. Is what I think is 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 sort of amusing for all for like you know all the all the flack it took when it came out. The makeup and hairstyling is incredible. Um, I think it it has a really good shot at that and has a really good shot at Glenn Close. And then director Emerald Fennell, David Fincher, Regina King, Aaron Sorkin, Chloe Zhao. I'm going with Ms. Chloe Zhao, second woman to win the category, following Barbara Streisand in Yentl for Yentl. <laughs> I um I think it's probably Chloe Zhao, which would be wonderful. I think uh, Emerald Fennell is right behind her. Do okay. I'm gonna go Chloe, and I think Aaron Sorkin will be right behind her. Mm. Uh, screenplay: Promising Young Woman, Mank, Charles Chicago Seven, The Father, Nomadland. I'm going Chicago Seven here. Sorkin will be the most awarded screenwriter in Globe's history, joining. It would be tied with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Burton. I can see it, but at this point, I feel like I'm all in on Promising Young Woman. Might so as well, I right? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like if she wins screenplay, she probably won't win director or vice versa. Yeah. She's my number two in that. In that. They like to spread the wealth. Yeah. Uh, Jazz, what would you say? I say um, Mank and then Emerald Fennel. Ooh, nice. All right. And then score... I'm going Mank, actually. Just to throw things crazy. Oh, no, that's a great option. Cosign on Mank. I think Trent and Atticus will win. I think they're winning all, all, all the way across. I mean, they, they have two chances, so. Yeah, right? <laughs> double the shot. <laughs> Do they? Because they're double nominated. Soul. Yeah, for Soul. 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 Oh, my God. I totally forgot they were on Soul as well. Yeah. Wow. And original song, I'm going. Something that's not going to matter to the Oscar race, Andrew Day, Tigress and Tweed from United States versus Billie Holiday, which did not make the shortlist. I think that will win and we won't know anything. I'm going Diane Warren because they have, a, they have Laura Passini, huge in Italy, HFPA doing their thing. Nice. I am abstaining because neither Wuhan flu or anything from Eurovision was nominated. Ooh, that's it. <laughs> And that's the Globes. It was a good show, wasn't it? We just did it right now. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everyone. So we don't have to watch on Sunday? Is that the deal? We don't have to watch. That's <laughs> it. Done. The Globes are just, I mean, like, they're literally impossible to predict. So, like, I, 
you know, we're, we're like trying to predict what their unpredictable choice will right, be. Right, <laughs> right. What, what are their favorites? What sways them? Uh, you know, when you guys were talking about the comedy categories, I, I'm thinking like the, the one nominee who actually hosted the show in the past, Andy Samberg. So maybe they have this yeah. undying love for, for Samberg and maybe he or, or Palm Springs somehow. I would in. forgive everything that HFPA ever did if they did that. <laughs> Well, look, they the first year of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they awarded him and his show, you know, which I had hoped would translate over to Emmys and, and never did. And and by the way, the year he and Sandra Oh hosted, they were great. I mean, that, oh, that's gosh, where... so fantastic. Like, that's, that's like creative casting for, for hosts. That's the way hosting should always be done, is, is find folks you don't expect, put them together, and watch them shine. I, I do think he could be a spoiler in the lead actor in a comedy. Yeah. That would be great. And hey, listen, if they're really smart, they'll bring out Jamie Dornan to sing Edgar's Prayer. <laughs> just because. Bring out Jamie Dornan and Janelle Riley wearing those T-shirts. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. My mom, I think, like, it. she just... She just doesn't understand what I do. And she just <laughs> saw this photo of me wearing a matching shirt with Jamie Dornan. And was, I think, to be frank, I think she was a little embarrassed for me. <laughs> just disappointed in you. Like, what did I? Well, she's perpetually disappointed. But no, no, no. My mother is very supportive. I just I just don't think uh, we, we don't share the same sense of humor. Let me put well, it that just way. Show her a photo of you and Stephen Yun. And <laughs> then, yeah. then See, she, exactly. she has no sense of humor about her obsession with Stephen Yun. She she acts like I'm making it up or exaggerating and maybe a little, but not by much. You've seen the text from her. She's obsessed. Yes, indeed. Um, Mike, do we have an hour WandaVision last two episodes I hear? Is that is that true? Do we know? Yeah, we, we got, uh, yeah, I don't know the exact time, but uh, yeah, this this thing is, uh, yeah, two more episodes. So it's 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 been a ride. J- just when we thought we couldn't love Catherine Hahn more. Catherine Hahn, all, all the Emmys. Just bring all oh, the Emmys. In greatest. what category, though? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What is WandaVision going in? I, I don't and know. Will it be limited I mean, series? I, I think. I think by rules right now, I think it's supposed to go comedy. But yeah. they can amend. But, they get. I'm uh, not amended or whatever. Do something. Do different. I'm guessing they put it in comedy. Um, uh, because Isn't it limited though? Disney Plus. Uh, or is it series? I keep getting conflicting information, but I know Mike Schneider will know the answer. Um. Hmm. <laughs> By the way, Paul Bettany as Ty Burrell in Modern Family on last week's WandaVision <laughs> yeah. is such a mood. Yeah. Um, well, Mike, do you know if they're going to, are they, is there, is there any talk that there would be another like WandaVision in the future? Yeah. That's... Cause, cause then that, that's what begs the question. I guess they would have to show their hand. Michael Schneider, yeah. do you have an air hockey table behind you? <laughs> or is yes, that what do. she does? What's going on at your house? Wait, why do you have a fun house? This, yeah, this, is, this is the fun room. That is an air hockey table. So, it is an air hockey. That's table. incredible. Oh, I want to play. I want to play when the world stops. Burning when the world, down. yeah, yeah. When the world's back to normal, <laughs> and and we could do this all in person. We'll, we'll do it here. We'll, we'll, we'll do, do it around the table here. Fun room. From the fun room. <laughs> Because at that point, Clayton will be in L.A. on L.A. time. Yes. Yeah. Unless uh, the turkeys take over the world, which they, they... Would you say that's the worst thing about me, is that I'm not on L.A. time? <laughs> oh, you compliment yourself. There, there's there's so many more now. 
No, no, no. Somebody told me the other day I need to be nicer to you that I give you too much crap on this podcast. And I'm like, that's just what we do. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, let's let's head to this week's episode. Uh, what, What do we got? Uh, we have Shaka King, director of Judas and the Black Messiah, and George C. Wolfe, director of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, during wow. BGA voting. Excellent, excellent. And and don't forget, uh, to follow, we'll also have a bonus episode. Uh, check your <gasps> inboxes from uh, Janelle and myself, talking to Jane Fonda and Norman Lear. So keep your eyes out. Plenty of content to enjoy in the, the days leading up to the Golden Globes. Can I, just just a teaser, uh, Jane Fonda has so many awards, she had a shelf custom built, and it broke under the weight of her oh. awards. And I was like, that is such a flex. <laughs> she, wow. Is she close, EGOT? She, she doesn't have a Tony? She has an Emmy, at least one. I thought she might have a Grammy for like spoken word, yeah. which by the way, everyone like I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and they hate that that counts in the yeah. EGOT thing. Spoken word? Yeah. Well, whatever. People can win best song at the Oscars. And- True, right? Same thing. Yeah. I don't think she has a Grammy. I don't think so either. Let's get on that. Well, we'll, we'll write something for her. All right. I'm on it right now. I'll write a song. Mike will write the... The Broadway spectacle. <laughs> the, the, the liner notes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. She just needs to be in one division. She could do an original song. There you go. Sorted. <gasps> Stop. Oh. Will we get a spinoff of one division called Agatha All Along? That's where Why they Why don't they list. have an original song category at the Emmys? They do. They do. Do they? Oh, yeah. and the creative. I mean, like, I mean, I meant, when I say, I meant like. Oh, in prime time. Yeah, maybe eventually yeah. <laughs> if like now the music. Well, that, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, let's yeah. let's get let's get to, the, to this week's interviews, and we'll see you next week to recap the craziness that ensued at the Globes. And I will give a crown to whoever's predictions were most accurate. Watch music sweep. Yeah, music sweep <laughs> done. <laughs> it's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Voting continues for the Directors Guild of America Awards, and this year presents one of the most diverse options for members to choose from. Two of those contenders include Shaka King from Warner Brothers' Judas and the Black Messiah and George C. Wolfe of Netflix's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. This week, we have on the Variety Awards Circuit podcast the filmmakers who discuss their features, bringing the stories to the big screen, and how they helm their amazing cast. First up, Judas and the Black Messiah director and co-writer Shaka King had only helmed 2013's Newlywed before getting to assemble, arguably, three of this generation's finest actors, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kaluuya, and Dominique Fishback, and a powerhouse producing squad in Ryan Coogler and Charles D. King. The story of how the FBI infiltrated the Black Panthers and set in motion the murder of one of its leaders, Fred Hampton, Judas and the Black Messiah has landed Kaluuya nods for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes, SAG, and Critics' Choice Awards, and a nomination from the Writers Guild of America for Best Original Screenplay. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. What do you want? Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. America's on fire right now. Until that fire is extinguished, nothing else means a damn thing. I recently spoke to King about his film, as well as an industry that has been historically exclusionary 
We also talked about trying to stay positive regarding the chatter about award snubs and getting the film accepted by the Hollywood machine. We begin with the Cliff Notes version recap of how Judas and the Black Messiah came to be. I meet the Lucas brothers in 2016. Uh, they tell me they have an idea for a movie about Fred Hampton and William O'Neill, the FBI informant who uh, infiltrated the Illinois Black Panther Party and um, drugged Fred Hampton the night before his assassination and gave the FBI the blueprints to his apartment. Uh, so they have an idea to make a movie about these two individuals um, that they kind of see as the departed inside the world of COINTELPRO. I hear that pitch immediately on board. Um, we end up teaming up with Will Burson, another writer, and myself and Will write a screenplay. Uh, I get it to Ryan Coogler. He digs it. He gets it to Charles King. We all team up, form a, uh, you know, the X-Men with Dale Kaluuya as, you know, Professor X and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lakeith is, you know, Wolverine, whoever, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, that means Dominique, is Storm, is Storm. Dominique, yeah, Storm, Dominique, Dominique is Storm, you know, yeah. and uh, we go to Warner Brothers um, and they team up with us and then, you know, a bunch of other people get involved and we eventually end up here four years later. Yeah. And you're obviously a fortune teller and knew this would happen during a pandemic year. So you had all this planned clearly. right away, right? Clearly, clearly. Yeah. I mean, it was all, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll create a pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah. And that way everybody will be trapped in their homes and, yeah. um, you know, they'll have to watch our movie on HBO Max. On yeah. Well, you know? Listen, we've been looking for patient zero. I guess we found is right here. Shocking. Exactly. That's exactly. me. <laughs> Cool, man. Um, so thank you for that, like, hybrid. Anyone who wants to know the the deeper, a little bit deeper version story I have uh, from December, that's that's great. Lays a lot of that out. Um, let's talk about you as a filmmaker, because what I love here about you, you have one film under your belt. And I say one film that got distributed, because you've been a filmmaker for... Well, one feature, one feature. One, one feature, feature, yeah. That's that great. One feature. Um, I never like to belittle anyone's like accomplishments, you know, for those school, no, no, school no. days. I mean, those, those shorts, those, I mean, I made shorts after my feature, you know, yeah. my shorts, got, my shorts got me work. Mm. My feature didn't get me any work. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so your feature was, uh, was newlyweeds. Yeah. Uh, and then now you're given the keys to a studio film with a, with a budget as a big, as a hefty budget. Um, and teaming up with, arguably the three finest actors of our generation, uh, producing partners that have made magic before. How did it feel for you to get the keys to that vehicle and drive it? Um, like a real accomplishment, you know, because it wasn't like the keys were handed to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, myself and the Lucas brothers and Will, you know, we had to, meld the keys out of metal you know what i'm saying and like shape the keys you know what i mean uh and then we had some folks bless the keys but 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 you know because we kind of ground we you know we took it from the ground up it it was it was worth it you know it was worth it it makes it all the more fulfilling um because you know at one point it was just three dudes in an apartment you know what i mean just talking about what this could be I think that's, that's an important point to make. I think especially for uh, artists of artists of color, uh, underrepresented voices that have those conversations in an apartment where they want to do something. 
oftentimes what hap- what's missing there is the call to action, the, the discipline to get to get the, the ball rolling. And this was years in the making. This 2014, I believe, this kind of started. Is that my right? Well, the Lucas brothers had an idea for it in, I think, 2013. Yeah. And then yeah. they took it around around that time and it got passed on and they sat on it. And then we connected and they brought it back to and, life. And, th- and what year was that? You guys 2016. That was 2016. Good timing. We had a we had a hefty little election going on during that time. So it felt mm-hmm. even more on the money. So I guess my question to you is, for those dreamers, for those people that want to get into this industry that don't see a lot of Shaka Kings out there, don't see stories in which they even see themselves on the screen, you know, what, what, what kind of message do you have for them, for, the, for that, that up and coming gen- generation, that pipeline that needs to be filled with the new uh, voices? I mean, I think it's a number of things. You know, the one, I think the first thing I tell anybody who wants to make any art is just have a clear sense or develop really don't have to have it at all, but just figure out what, you want to convey what is important to you, what makes you you, you you unique. You know, what do you have to say that nobody else has to say, I think is important to identify as early as possible because, you know, I think a lot of times if you figure that out, when you are rejected by everyone, which is, you know, part of the process of making art, um, you can kind of always come back to that because that's the thing. That's kind of has to be your North Star, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I, re- I realized that when I was rejected and the thing that got me out of that, you know, sense of just despair was the desire to create you know, an idea coming to me, really being brought to me by a friend and it speaking to me and then me just having no choice but to make it and finding fulfillment in that process and then just the experience of creation and like having a thing I wanted to say and seeing if I could say it or convey it or, you know, even just raise questions and pull it off and then doing so and it having just being the most just artistically fulfilling experience of just creating something for no other reason than to create it. Now, as you see, you know, and we're, and we're talking just three days before the movie debuts on HBO max, people are going to be listening to this a few days after. Um, and you are, you're, in a, you're, you're one of a lot of new voices that has entered this realm this year. And it's been very encouraging to see a lot of these new voices get embraced the way they have. However, there is, I, I, I always say complacency is always the enemy of progress because people will look at this year and go, yeah, look, we got diversity happening. We're good. And it's not, it's not the case. Um, what, problems do you see in the industry that you're finding that that took so long to get from newlyweeds to Judas and the black Messiah? I think one thing, and I've heard 
directors and producers, particularly black directors and producers, bemoaning this fact long before I really had any interaction with the industry. And I would hear them talk about the need for black executives at the studio. Um, and I, I, I realized in making this film that, you know, one of the major reasons why, I believe at least, one of the major reasons why Warner was the only studio that, you know, was interested in partnering with us in, in a real way was because of an executive there named Nyjah Kuykendall, who is a Black woman who's been there for a while, and she's one of the few Black executives at her level in Hollywood. And she'd been trying to make a movie about the Panthers at Warner Brothers for about 10 years before we even came there. And so they'd seen scripts, they were familiar with, you know, they, they had some sense of what a movie like this could be. And I think that they had a sense, just they had a commercial sense of what it could be because she'd done a lot of that groundwork. And it, for me, crystallized why it is important to have non-white people, black people in executive positions, high executive positions within the studio. But I think they also have to be, they can't just be black, you know I mean? Like Clarence Thomas is black and he doesn't, you know, have any utility for black people, you know, as a Supreme Court justice. So, you know, they have to have the right politic and I think the right interests. Um, they have to be, those interests have to be aligned with, you know, I think the majority of the people in the communities in which they come from, which is the case with Niger. I'm reminded of a, a from my interview, and I, it's just it's my favorite thing that you said in the interview. So it's going to be a kind of a rehash. But I remember you telling me about a pitch uh, that you were doing for someone that wasn't Warner Brothers, and um, it was the weekend of Black Klansmen, mm-hmm. and them saying it's not going to make money, and you, you were like, "Like it is," and then. You said it's the moment you realize even the math was racist. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? About that, th- the system that is built that even that you know we we th- think of it as just one singular piece, and how it's not just that piece. Absolutely, you yeah. You know, I mean, so you know, for your listeners out there, many of you probably have heard about how algorithms have made their way into the studio system and play a big part in terms of executives deciding whether they're going to finance films. And so those algorithms, one of the things that, you know, they factor in pretty heavily is uh, uh, an actor's box office overseas is specific. Oh, I think in domestically, but also overseas. Um, and there's a widely held racist belief that black, that movies featuring black actors don't travel well uh, internationally. Um, and so, you know, you look at a movie like Black Klansman, um, and I guess whatever numbers they ran in terms of whether, you know, John David Washington was a, a bankable, star, bankable talent, they didn't think he was. Um, and they thought the movie was going to fail, even though, you know, you could look at that trailer, you could see the fact that everyone who'd seen the movie was raving about it, how great it was. Spike Lee is a brand, is an incredibly successful brand. Um, so for me, it was like, that's a, that's, a, that's a hit right there. You know what I mean? It's, Spike, it's a Spike movie that one can, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It has, it has a tone. It's like, you could tell from the commercial that it has an interesting tone. I was like, this is a hit. 
you know. And everybody in the room who you know was pitching with me was like, "This is a hit," except you know um, the, the executives on the other side of the table. Uh, and then you know the irony was that when they because they were really interested in our movie, but when they passed on our movie, they they said the the algorithm was the reason. And I was like, "But isn't that the same kind of mathematics that led to you assuming that Black Lens was going to bomb?" And it went on to become a major success. Like, shouldn't you amend the algorithm if that's the case? <laughs> that was the logic that, you know, that, that yeah. made sense to me. So, what's the follow up to that? Once you say, like, that same algorithm gave you the wrong answer, he, what is he, he was just, he was like, I mean, he, you know, the fact of the matter is, he wasn't in the, fi- he wasn't the finance person. You know what I mean? He was speaking on behalf of the folks that he works with. So he was like, at the end, he was like, yo, I'm sorry. Like, I gotta, I can't. You know what I mean? He had nothing he could say, you know? And that's not saying that he recognized that the logic was flawed. I mean, maybe he still has an investment in it. I don't know. You know, the conversation kind of ended there. But those algorithms are, you know, they're interesting, man. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about, you know, the controversy. It's not really a controversy because I don't think that they're really sort of, it hasn't overshadowed the film to the degree that I thought or that, you know, some people I think thought it would in terms of the casting of Daniel and being a, a black Brit. It was something that has been discussed and, and acknowledged. Um, but I sort of like was reading a lot about that stuff and thinking a lot about it, um, sort of trying to take my own sort of personal perspective out of it and just look at the, you know, the information, the fact that, you know, with these black pile picks that come out, like they're like, okay, well, David Oliola did play MLK you know, we do have Daniel playing Fred Hampton. We do have Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman. You know, I could see how, you know, people could see that and, and, and this question could be raised. And then I started to think, okay, well, say that is, say that maybe there is some credence to that. Like, why would that be the case? And I started kind of thinking about it. And I realized that this, the way that there's this, you know, mistruth out there that Black American actors don't sell internationally, it wouldn't surprise me. And this is just a theory I have. But it wouldn't surprise me if the same executives who believe in that look at black UK actors and think, well, they can sell, they can sell the UK. Maybe they can sell UK colonies, India, Hong Kong, or former UK colonies, I should say. Um, It's like, it wouldn't surprise me if that is some of the, you know, thinking behind why, especially when you're looking like a mid-budget you know what I mean? Where, okay, and granted, like I looked at this film, you know, our, our budget, we, we we could make them with the budget we had. I'm satisfied with it, but if I'm putting on my executive hat and I'm hearing this pitch and I'm seeing we have Daniel Lakeith, Ryan, Charles putting up half the money, the thing that they, it was crazy to me they didn't factor in was just the IP of the Black Panther Party. You know what I mean? Like that IP is priceless, quite frankly. It and it. It was already priceless before the movie Black Panther came out. But when the movie Black Panther came out, I remember going to see Black Panther and there were people in the theater dressed as Black Panthers. Like they were people cosplayed as T'Challa, but they also cosplayed as Huey Newton. You know what I mean? And so if I'm going to, I mean, I'm, look, I'm not a, I'm not a Hollywood insider. Like I'm, I'm kind of brand new in terms of, you know, making films within the industry at this level. But I just was like, this I just saw. I was like, I was like, this is a lucrative possibility here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I just think that like there's a lot of funny, funny money out there. 
You know what I mean? In terms of the way that they talk about the money, how do I? Yeah. Your, your theory, by the way, has a lot of merits that are sound. I, I, I had a, we had uh, Daniel Kaluuya on our, uh, one of our episodes and I asked him about the, the perception that if you're from England, you're trained and educated. And there's like this perception of that, that just being of being British, like, even remove like there's racism in England, England obviously, and mm-hmm. the UK. But just being there, kind of, it, it almost in the eyes gives a little bit of a leg up because there's just that perception. Well, so I mean, you yeah. got to remember that America is a former colony. You know what I'm saying? So they have they have a you know Americans have a colonized mindset in terms of the the, the Brits. You know what I mean? Like you just say something with a British accent, it, it becomes more intelligent. Yeah, automatically. Yeah, you know. Um, so I do think that there is a bias to some degree, not just not amongst like not just with black British actors, but I think British actors across the board, yeah. where you know there's this belief that they have better training, they come from the stage. I've heard I've heard directors say that. I've heard American directors say that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and to me, it's absurd. You know, it's absurd. <laughs> First of all, there's so many styles of acting. There's yeah. so many styles of acting. And and they're not high. There's no hierarchy to those styles. Yeah, and it's still and it's still evolving. Like we yeah. we will see new yeah. uh, techniques be used, and and that you're absolutely correct. And I and I wonder because that actually brings me to my next question uh, for you. Again, perception and also truth to it. Uh, other filmmakers, other producers, when new voices come to the table, like Shaka King, there's this idea of you know, no matter how great your film is or how talented you are, by the way, your film sits, I think, right now at this moment, at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Just we got we got 98. We got 98. Richard Richard who, Brody. Who, who messed it up, Richard, man? Come on. Richard Richard, Richard, Richard Brody hated on us. <sighs> well, it'll be addressed Richard at another Brody, time. All right. <laughs> so we're down to a 98. My God. I mean, might as well just tank it out, right? But there is this perception that when a new filmmaker comes comes on the block, you know, we have to just like, that people want to pump their brakes. Like, no, 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 we need someone to pay their dues, you know, and, and, and whatever the case may be. But we don't see that in other people who blow up for their first movie that are not black or a woman or anyone that's a person of color. How are you fighting, I guess, this, perception of yourself as a filmmaker because listen me and you i feel like we're like from the same like area like we, like we grew up in the same neighborhood we know a lot like our families are similar but we're not the hollywood insiders we're outsiders as you said how do you reconcile that perception versus who you really are i think you have to um as a black artist i guess see i was i was help my dad cook dinner he was watching this um program on HBO, I don't remember the name, it was a documentary about Black artists, Black American artists specifically. And there was a, a, a line that the Astor Gate said about being a Black artist and, you know, the opportunities, you know, being presented to, to folks like him now, you know, in terms of welcoming him into the mainstream and just like throwing money at him. And how, you know, as a Black artist, you have to be comfortable basically creating in the dark. Not people not just white people being just flat out honest, like, and not white people as individuals, but 
the industry, which is a white dominated, <laughs> white male dominated industry, you know, especially at the executive green lighting level, right? You have to you have to be comfortable with them not giving you your flowers ever. You know what I mean? Or and and that's when he said that I was like, even though he was talking about the fine art world, I was like, well, that's probably the case for all artists and all disciplines. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it's like I went to high school in Bay Ridge. I got called nigger. I had the cops make monkey sounds me in seventh grade. I got kidnapped. I, I've had like crazy racist shit happening. My, 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 nothing compared to when I had an, a sales agent tell me that he couldn't sell my movie because I had black actors who weren't, you know, well known. And not just he couldn't do it, but that it wouldn't sell. It was not going to, I was not going to, it was just not going to work. And for me, you know, as someone who had set this plan in motion, right? I'm gonna go to film school. I'm gonna make a feature in film school that I take to Sundance, I'm gonna sell it, and then I'm on my way. That was the plan. And for me to execute it and, and succeed, but not succeed, no, by no, not because of anything I did at all, it, re, it made me think about my grandfather, you know what I'm saying? And how like, he came, you know, n- no one deserved more than him. and. It's the old phrase, like, you got to work 20 times as hard for, like, this much of the reward of a white person. And I was like, oh, my, this is the shit that my grandfather and my dad and, like, all these people conveyed to me and said to me with words and that I felt growing up. But it's different when you become an adult, you know, for me, at least. It was different when I became a man and I felt it. It was like I did all this work and it's just, like, no reward. And so when that happens to you, you kind of got to like, that's why I go back to, you asked about my advice to give young artists. It's, it's, and it's really about getting in touch with the reason you do this shit in the first place, because that's really where your resilience lies. You know what I mean? So like, I don't need flowers <laughs> from, I don't need anything. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I wasn't like chomping at the bit to make a studio feature. I, I was comfortable making money, directing TV, making my shorts here and there, getting my, what I had to say out there, funding it myself. I was comfortable with that. The only reason that I made this movie is because I saw the utility in this movie and it was just like, and it became something I had to do artistically. There's nothing that, it's just gonna sound crazy, but like, I don't need anything from Hollywood, you know, from, I, I don't need anything, you know what I mean? And, and it's a, and, and it's crazy because now that, you know, this movie's coming out and, people or you know talking awards talk it starts to chip away at the you know protection of layer that you built for yourself you know what i mean i'm in bed asleep and my agent calls me like upset that you know we didn't get this nomination or that nomination and i'm like bro i i made peace with that a long time ago why are you making why are you trying to make me care about this stuff i actually don't want to care about it because i'm better off when i don't care about it because they're not going to give me shit anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I know it, you know? Like, you would have to have me on for like two hours for me to tell you the fucking slights that I've experienced in the last seven years. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I have, I've had to sort of get past all of that. You know what I mean? To, and, and really get to like, yo, what, what is it, what, like, what matters to me? And I think that's a, it's a great place to be. And, and so I'm like very wary 
of sacrificing that power. You know what I mean? I think as a as a as a black artist, that you got to really be careful about giving your power away. You know, like, and that's that's all I can say about it, really. Yeah, I want I want to add something to what you said. I, I love that you're like, you know, I don't need anything from Hollywood. You're not seeking that recognition, which I think every artist should aspire to. My argument has always been. And this is not invitation to the artists to care about what I'm caring about right now. I always make that clear. I need the academy, though, and the industry to care enough to recognize you. Not because you want it. It's because it reaffirms that people like you matter to us, not to yourself, to us, that we can see that when a Judas and the Black Messiah gets made or any film with a predominantly Black Latino, Asian cast, that that will be looked at on an equal playing field and that we will have enough voices to, to I, compete. I, I, I totally feel on that. But the thing is, because I've, I've talked I've about talked that with a few people and really the metric that I feel like, especially this year, award season is the, the metric because the box office is fucked up. But normally, the box office is the metric. It's not so much whether the movie wins awards or if the Academy or, or you know, the Golden Globes recognize it. It's, was this movie successful at the box office? You know what I mean? And we recognized that with this movie. We recognize, like, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons why, because this, se- this season, award, the awards are the metric, I have to think about these things. Yeah. Because it's what's important to me is that this movie does my, our success. This movie does not exist without the success of Black Panther. Literally, a lot of movies don't, but this movie literally is standing on that movie's shoulders. The movie got made because Ryan Coogler. One of the main reasons the movie got made, main, is because Ryan Coogler was a producer on it, coming off the success of Black Panther. So this movie, we want this movie to do well, so that the next thing can come along, you know what I mean? And the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, you know? Um, but again, you know, I just on a, I really do think you have to be, you gotta keep your armor up, man. You know what I mean? As a black, as a black artist, you really gotta keep your armor up, you know? Sure. Uh, last question for you, and then I'm gonna let you go. I would love to talk to you for two hours and let, and let I would love talking about things like this. Um, and it's important to have these dialogues and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. I do tell people that racism issues are uncomfortable because they're supposed to be. Um, but last question for you, as you look forward, what do you want to make next? And do you have something cooking that can come next based on this success? I got something I'm working on. I, I, I started just kind of cracking the idea phase of it um, a few weeks ago. You know, it's, it's way too early to talk about in any real concrete way. Um, but it's it's fiction. It's full on fiction. Yeah, it's, there's some, you know, there's some historical reference to it. Um, you know, but it's it's fiction. Nothing. No, it's like, it's not, like, I just know. I just. I, I'm not. I don't. You, you know. talk about it. <laughs> I'm not there yet. All right. Yeah. Hopefully, it will not take another seven years. Like I'm, I, wait. I would, I, I pray it doesn't too, man. I really yeah. do. I, I don't listen. want. I want to make a movie as soon as yeah. I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. You always have a a home here. You're 
fantastic. The movie's fantastic. I've been one of the biggest champions for it. Thank you, Clay. And, Appreciate uh, it. I really Thank hope you. that it continues its, its its success. Awards or not, it's still one of the best of the year. Thank you, Clay. Right? Thanks a lot, man. But yeah, thanks for taking the time with me. Uh, be safe. Give my regards to your dad, though. What were you helping him cook, by the way? I need to know. Shrimp. <laughs> Some shrimp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I wasn't as excited as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like... Yeah, yeah. You're gonna go full gumbo or somewhere like something like just really like nah man just like, some just some, finger. some pep, pepper shrimp man that's all that's director shaka king judas and the black messiah is now showing in select theaters and streaming on hbo max For Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, director George C. Wolfe had the task of taking on the words of playwright August Wilson in the Netflix feature. He sits down with Janelle Riley, discussing how Academy Award winner Viola Davis first turned down the project multiple times, even recommending various actresses for the titular role. In addition, he talks about the reasons for casting the late Chadwick Boseman in the role of Levy. They began by discussing how the film has been embraced. It's great. I mean, you know, it's um, you work on something. We finished filming. We we filmed in August 19th, August of 2019. And then I took two weeks off and then I started editing and then the shutdown happened. And then I finished things up in July. And so, you know, and then we were about ready to launch and then Chadwick passed away. And then, you know, and so it's just been it's sort of like it's you feel you feel emotionally connected to it at the same time, distant from it. So it's this really complicated series of feelings. So I'm very, I'm very, very proud that people are finding themselves inside of the story, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm proud that uh, people are being recognized, but, you know, you can't, I, I, you have to create a kind of, that's happening over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It has sort of nothing to do with the work, but it has to do with the appreciation of the work. So I'm glad that people are appreciating the work. You know, part of my brain is going, okay, now I got to get back to work on something. I need to work on something else. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for, I'm glad, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the compliment. Now I got to get to work, you know, because otherwise I feel like I'm indulging. Mm. You know, that I'm not doing, you know, I'm indulging in. And, you know, I'm, I'm standing on a float waving my hands and I'm at a parade that I need. No, I got to get to work. I got to go make something new. Well, it's probably been at least two years that you've sort of been consumed with this project, I'm guessing, if you shot it in 2019. Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know if it was, well, yeah, it's not, probably, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I forget, I forget the chronology of stuff. I just, you know, you know, I mean, also film is like, we're going forward. We're going forward. Okay, now we're going forward. Now hurry up and do everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's that. But it's good. It's all good. I'm always stunned that any movie gets made because it's so complicated and there's so many people involved. When these things did happen, like the shutdown, you know, did, did was there any fear that you wouldn't get this movie out to people? No, no. Because, you know, we were, at least I didn't have the fear. No, no. Uh, it was sort of the exact opposite. I wanted, like, can we help and get this thing out? But there was, I had like about three weeks left of post-production on it. And, but, and, but then, so 
there were about two weeks where everybody was just a zombie. But then I started, you know, working with my editor, you know, remotely and looking at visual effects and then um, doing color timing. I'd go to a place in New York where I would be the only person in the room and he'd be in L.A. And then the DP would be somewhere else different in L.A. And, you know, so but then we finished everything. Everything got finished by the end of July. And so it was, and then the country was confronting what it was confronting. And I want, can we get this out next week? So this movie can be in conversation with what's happening in the country right now. Yeah. You know, and then it ended up, you know, so it's, uh, no, I, I, I felt confident mm-hmm. that, you know, between Netflix and Denzel Washington and Todd Black, our two producers, I felt like it was going, it was on its journey and it was going to, it, it, it was going to be experienced. Mm-hmm. I My only regret is I wish people had, you know, it's a, it's a different movie on a big screen. And that that's my only regret, but yeah. you know, it's, the, it's the state of the world. So we're all good. I had a friend who got to see it on a big screen and, and made us all so jealous when he told us that. Oh, great. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder if some of that comes from theater. I know a lot of people who write for theater and film. And one of the things they really love about theater is they get to see their work up. They don't have to wait months. But it also takes a long time to put up a good play, I presume. Yeah, it takes a long time. But also, once that play closes, it's gone. And the only people who remember it are the ones who saw it. Yeah. Period. That's it. You know? And uh, so, you know, so I love, I love that... You know, regardless of what happens, my reign is out there. And, and the fact it's on Netflix, it's, you know, it's being seen all over the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think in, in that first weekend, I think our numbers were really high in like Brazil and Africa. Mm-hmm. And so that made me even more, you know, so it's like, oh, people are, you know, oh, thrilling, thrilling, great. So that's so great. I actually want to go back to the beginning and, and talk about the casting of this movie because uh-huh. you see Viola Davis and, and Chadwick Boseman going head to head and you're like, obviously, you know, two greats, brilliant. Um, were they always the first and only people on your mind in casting this? Yeah, uh, Denzel and I, we instantly wanted Viola and then Viola instantly said no. And then she said no a couple of times and then she said yes. Um, and... I, I said Chadwick, and then I thought he'd be perfect, and then and then so he said yes, and then um, you know that was all of that. So and then we just went on from there, you know, fleshing out the other roles. I wasn't aware that Viola originally said no. Well, you know, she was going, she was up, you know, and you know, get somebody who can sing, and I went, you know, I went no, I just I don't think about the singing, think about the role, and then she said yes, you know, wow, so uh, you know. Viola is a very, um, very, very generous human being. Yeah. You know, she suggested other actors as well. You know, so <laughs> she's like, no, well, she did. It's absolutely. And she was very sincere about that. But. Wow. Obviously seeing the movie, it's, it's clear why you wanted Chadwick, but you know, when you started out, what, what, what were the reasons that drew you to him? Um, I think I thought he was a very good actor and a very charismatic actor. Mm. And, and, and the role required both. I, I wanted a Levy who would charm and seduce us at the very beginning and then be able to reveal to us the deep scars that he's wearing. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there are a lot of people who have the charisma thing, but they don't have the depth thing. And some people have the depth thing, but they don't have the charisma thing. And he has both in abundance. Mm. 
you know. I yeah. sometimes say has, sometimes say had, you know, it's all part of the journey of processing. Yeah. Um, you've done so many amazing plays for the stage. Uh, and yet you haven't directed August Wilson before on stage, which is strange no. to me. It seems like a perfect fit. Um, had you ever thought about bringing any of those other plays to the screen? And, and why this one? Why, what, what attracted you to this one? Well, Denzel asked me, you know, Denzel asked me to direct it. So that's why, you know, I mean, you know, there, there was a, there was a whole, there, there were a series of directors who were directing uh, August's work. Lord Richards was a director to do it, and then Mary McClinton, and then Kenny Leon. And so there were there were a slew of people who were directing those shows on Broadway, and I was doing my own. You know, I was you know I was doing my own work, and I was you know running the public theater. So it it, it you know August at one point talked to me about doing a play, but he hadn't written it yet, and I said said well I need to read it. So I you know so that was that, and then you know and then a, and and I just never had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Denzel asked me, and then I said oh okay let me think about it. Let me sort of dig into the material and see what I can find that makes sense to me. How long did it take you before you said yes? <laughs> well, I think I probably, I don't recall. I don't, re, I don't really recall. Maybe I said yes right away. I don't know. Um, I don't recall. I really don't know. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you ever be interested in something that you directed on stage, like Iceman Cometh, bringing that to the big screen? Um, maybe, sure. You know, you know. I wish we had filmed, I mean, we filmed it for the archives, uh, for, for theater archives. I, I wish we had filmed it for TV, actually. Um, yeah, there are a number of projects of mine that, that I would love to see filmed, just simply because I love them and I think they're great. So I would like to share them with a wider audience, mm-hmm. without question. And like you said, theater is so ephemeral, you know, yeah. you have a record yeah. of it, at least. Yeah, and that's, and that's part of its potency, but it's also part of its uh, heartbreak, yeah. if you will. Um, obviously, we're here to talk about your movie, but uh, you are such a, a, a legend in the theater. I'm just sort of curious, how are you feeling about the state of theater right now? Are you hoping we'll get back up soon or? Well, it will. I mean, but, you know, it's like it's, you know, it's once again, it's very frequently the things that make us strong are also the things that make us fragile. And the thing that makes theater so incredibly strong is, you know, particularly, you know, if you're working on Broadway as these old Victorian buildings where the audience sits on top of each other and on backstage, everybody's on top of each other. And then on stage, people are, you know, singing and actors are talking and they're spitting on the audience and all of that, not intentionally, but just because they're so close to it. And that that proximity is what makes theater thrilling. And in this pandemic is what makes theater scary. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, it, it will it will return. It will return when it's safe for everybody to do so. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And I think that, you know, I, my, my heart goes out to, you know, so many, it's a, you know, particularly, you know, in New York, it's like, it's the people who work at the theater, the people that you never see, it's the restaurant that's near the theater and the bartender. And so it's affecting so many people's income. And so that, that is a source of heartbreak to me and concern to me. So I, you know, and just how many people are unemployed because of the pandemic in general, but very specifically within the theater community and the communities surrounding the theater in New York City. So I, hopefully that happens soon, very soon. So people can be employed. Uh, yeah. 
So bringing Ma Rainey to the screen, I know that there are always changes in an adaptation. Um, what were some of the major changes that you wanted to make? I know, for example, uh, the weather was a big yeah. one. Well, I changed it from when to play with set in winter. I wanted to set in summer because urban heat is, is horrifying and it wears the body down. And also I thought, you know, it would it would serve as an, an energy to intensify the stakes of what was going on. One of the things that I wanted in that band room was was the ceiling fan that would partially work and and the degree and it breaks the ceiling fan is breaking down just as the as, as the characters are starting to break down, you know. So I just wanted to play around with heat as a very important equation. We, we ended up cutting, I ended up probably cutting working with Ruben on the adaptation, probably about 40 minutes worth of material from the play. Really? You, yeah, because, of, you know, in the play, there's the, the act one is the band sitting around waiting on Ma to show up. And Ma, Ma doesn't put in an appearance until at least 40 minutes into the play. And it's called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And so I wanted to make sure that we saw her very early on in the movie because she is she is the energy around which people are either defending themselves or attacking or trying to build a solid relationship with or trying to overthrow. And so she is the, the center of the universe. She is the sun and everybody else are these planets, you know, circling around her. So I wanted to establish her and her presence and her command. I was also very important to me to show the power that she has in the South, that she has a devoted following, that she has a power base mm -hmm. so that when she comes to New York, when she, when she comes to Chicago and she's going off on the policeman or she's checking Irving or Sturdivant, she's not just doing sort of black girl go off. She's coming at them with a sense of her own power. Yeah. And this is how you're going to address me. And this is how you're going to deal, deal with me because I know my power mm -hmm. and I know my worth and I'm not depending on you to affirm me. And so it, by having the audience see her in her element, seeing her fans adore her, we understand where she's coming from. So, so that, you know, just there were other things that I wanted to, you know, that the, that the potency of film, you can, you can, you can, you, you have the close up, but you also have the world around it. And I wanted to sort of articulate the various worlds of Chicago so that therefore when she appears at that hotel, you know, so we're seeing, you know, an, an aristocratic black, you know, class that is present. We're seeing the people working in the factories and working in the steel mills who are suffering and sweating. We see the people who, this, who, who the Great Migration did not deliver and, and are the disposables, or as Toledo says, the leftovers. So I want to try to paint a portrait of Chicago as well, mm -hmm. Black Chicago and white Chicago, so as to um, enhance our understanding of the stakes that were going on with the characters at any given moment. Well, it's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is August Wilson's only play not set in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's the only play that has at its center a famous person, and it's his only LBGTQ character. Wow. My, my, my was an out lesbian. I didn't Probably realize Probably technically that. bisexual, but, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, so... And I love, I, I love, I, I love the fact that, it, and also it's, it, you know, Chicago is like, I never, it's very interesting. Chicago is a very interesting time and, and Chicago in the 1920s is a very interesting time. Mm -hmm. America in general in the 1920s was an extraordinary time. 
I mean, I feel like the the themes he's playing with here have always been relevant, but th- they feel particularly relevant in the last year, especially, yeah. you know, seeing a, 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 a black woman who, like you said, knows her worth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and is not going to apologize for her power and is going to be and demands that everybody deal with her the way she wants to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And that's thrilling. But it's also, and you know, but to me, you know, I'm from the South. That's that's the South. Yeah. People, people who are not from the South have the sort of twisted, limited understanding of, of, of what happened in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s you know, in the South. And I think they have this idea that Black people were cowering in the corner, waiting for Martin Luther King to come to town. And that wasn't the case. And I grew, you know, and I grew up, the women that I grew up around were very commanding, powerful people and mm-hmm. and, and and who demanded that they be treated a certain way. There may have been consequences for their demands, but they that didn't stop them at all. That's George C. Wolf. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.